out of Oklahoma City. You're listening to the Good Trash Genre Cast, where movies are more than just 90 minutes in a bucket of popcorn. The Good Trash Genre Cast is a member of the Good Trash Media family and is sponsored in part by SadMenForLonelyWomen.com. Sad Men for Lonely Women, because at some point or another, somebody stopped loving you. Hello everybody and welcome again to the Good Trash Genre Cast, where a bunch of people gather around a table and we discuss the films that you will never discuss in the course of a film studies course. But this month, we are in the midst of our Brigathon Patreon patron, Brigham Cole, has... um, given a donation of submission a sufficient amount that uh, requires of us a marathon and Brigham has selected an anime Japanese animation film marathon and this week we're going to be taking a look at the seminal Ghost in the Shell and so I'm very very excited to be talking it, about that is it seminal because of all the uh, material in there for uh, sad uh, lonely young men to masturbate to correct that, okay. that there there's there is much semen involved um, with the history of this film I'm sure there's a reason why it was ported over by a company called manga which is a stars company mm-hmm so there you go dear listener that is the name of the film and what we're talking about let's identify the disembodied voices speaking directly into your brain through your ear holes um, in your various and sundry mp3 playing generic devices Um, to my right ma'am who are you my name's Alexander Bohannon and Dustin I mean have you actually ever seen your brain no never never once never once Um, to her right sir identify yourself hi my name is Caleb Masters and when I was a young child My speech, my feelings, and my thinking were all those of a child. Now I'm a man. I have no more use for childish ways. Yes, indeed. You know, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I reasoned as a child. But when I became a man, also, there's that. What verse is that again? That's in 1 Corinthians 13. Thanks, Dad. Hey, no problem. That's what I do. Uh, Across the table, sir, who are you? My name is Dalton Stewart, and this is a very long and overly written monologue about exactly what's going on at the table right now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. (laughs) Thank you very much. My name is Dustin Sells, and this is the only model I could find on the black market, and I am so glad to be here uh, with you all talking Ghost in the Shell. Now, we need to warn you, dear listener, this is not a review show. It's an analysis show, and so there will be spoilerific spoiler ridges. Yes, we will talk about the conclusions and their Lolita implications uh, throughout the course of this uh, discussion, but before we get into that... We will talk about Neo's meeting with the giant machine baby. Yes, we will, Um, and it'll be fun And when we do all of that, but we are going to do this uh, to warn you and to sort of give you an ability to, uh, if you haven't seen Ghost in the Shell, know where the spoilers come. We're going to have a synopsis from The Voice of the Cinema and our quick thumbs up, thumbs down review, which we are going to try to keep spoiler free. And then we'll move into our business time. That is our analysis. And so you have been warned. Once you hear business as uh, discussed as terms of analysis, uh, it's a spoilerific, a spoilerage zone. And you have now been warned. But without any further ado, let's begin with that synopsis from The Voice of the Cinema. Mr. Arthur Gordon, let's hear that synopsis. A cyborg policewoman and her partner hunt a mysterious and powerful hacker called the Puppet Master. Oh, uh, yeah, that happens. That's yep. that's the thing. So, well, there you go, uh, dear listener. Now you know the synopsis. Let's hear those uh, quick thumbs up, thumbs down reviews. The uh, great lover of all things Japanese, Mr. Dalton Stewart, I go to you first. <laughs> oh, my Jesus. Thank you for that. That was funny. Um, Ghost of the Shell is pretty dope, but every time it starts to be really good, 
something stupid happens that just takes me right out of the movie. A, a myriad of, of, of troubling, just things that trouble me with this film. Um, not not only uh, uh, things along gender lines, which we'll talk about more, but just stylistic choices and, and really uh, story structure and dialogue issues. Um, there, there's so many interesting ideas going on within the film. The problem is every time an interesting idea is introduced, a character feels the need to like explicitly um, tell you exactly what's going on, like in philosophical terms. Like, oh wow, that's a really interesting idea about you know what what defines humanity and how do you know when you you stop being a human? And then they go ahead and say, man. Uh, when you know you're still a human. It's just like, oh my God, I got it. Yeah, I know. I'm watching the movie. You don't need to fucking spoon feed it to me. It's very frustrating. Um, it's a very frustrating film. Uh, again, there's a lot of really uh, cool things. The, there's that chase scene uh, towards the beginning of the film with the garbage men is, is really cool. Um, the story itself is kind of all over the place. Uh, it takes well over halfway through the film for them to f- really find the central story crux it feels like and, and then the movie's almost over uh I, a lot of cool things are set up and none of them are paid off uh what i will say though is watching ghost in the shell you can see all of the influence it's gone on to have uh, in popular culture not just uh, particularly western popular culture um and again i think we'll probably touch on that a little bit more as we go throughout the film uh or rather throughout our analysis and uh our uh <clears throat> elsewhere instead recommendations i I wanted to like this movie more than I did. I, I certainly, I've seen it before, but it's been a long time. Um, I like a lot of things about it. I think some things about it are very cool, but overall, I, I'm just very troubled uh, in, in ways that make it very hard for me to uh, wholeheartedly enjoy the film. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Mr. Caleb Masters, what do you say in terms of thumbs up, thumbs down review? Yeah, so I've seen this movie uh, before uh, in college. I tried really hard to get into understanding a lot of anime, and this was on the list of top animes ever. Uh, I felt pretty mad about it at the time. Wanted to give it a second chance. Watched it a second time this last week, and was like, admittedly, I had other things that might have been stealing some attention, and I thought, meh, yeah, it's all right. And then uh, I was like, all right. This is only a 90 minute movie. I'll watch it again. I, surely I'll just I'll get my full attention this time. I want to give this movie its due right to deserve because it has a reputation for being one of the best animes and very influential. So I said, all right, third time. Third time I've ever seen it. Second time this week. I watched it a second time the week and I walked away saying, meh, it's a perfectly fine piece of anime, but uh, that's about the best I can say for it. Uh, there are a number of really smart and clearly influential ideas being addressed here, and I really don't think the movie took any of them far enough to really say anything truly meaningful about any of it. I didn't find any of the characters particularly interesting and the action, the action, like it's not even like a cool action movie. It's just, all right. I mean, there's some cool, like the aesthetic is cool. Like of the action, very matrix. But again, we have the matrix, which took it a lot further and a lot cooler. Uh, So even on the surface, I was just like, it's an all right movie. Uh, I think this is a film that I respect and I think it deserves to be studied for its influence. Uh, and I think it's got a very respectable legacy, but I don't really think this is a really, there's anything particularly special about this movie. It's just kind of all right. I don't know, Dustin, that's about really all I have to say. Just, just an all right, an all right piece of anime that clearly had an impact. All right. Well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Caleb Masters. Miss Alexander Bohannon, what is your experience in terms of review? 
I have about the same experience as Caleb Masters in watching this particular film. Um, the, it did have some really great action set pieces when we see gore and spines being ripped out of bodies and briefcase guns, and I'm loving all of that. But then there's a lot of not that. And, and I um, wasn't a fan of that. And then there's a lot of just casual naked lady objectification in, in the first minute. There's oh, yeah. just all over the place. Straight up, full body, nude booby shots, just all of it, you know? And I know they're cyborgs and they op- operate under a different paradigm. And it, I mean, in the film explains itself as to why she does disrobe and becomes naked and everything. But there is, it does become much over the course of 90 plus minutes. Um, in terms of what it does, I feel like you're right. It is a seminal piece of work. It does inspire a lot of things that end up co- happening with the Wich- Wichkowski uh, sisters and then all the other things. It, it, it is super influential, but it is just like how there are other influential things in popular culture. Um, there can be influences from a substantial original piece of work without that original piece of work being this upper echelons amazing thing it's someone's interpretation of these concepts that makes what originally happened great and actually in looking up some information about this film i found that they're actually making a live action remake of this film ghost in the shell for 2017 starring charlotte johansson as I'm sorry, who? Scarlett Johansson <laughs> as our, our lead cyborg. So that would be really interesting to see. I feel like um, the world would be ready for that. There will probably be way less nudity if they're trying to get a PG-13 rating. Um, but there's probably going to be some um, booby shots of Scarlett Johansson. Didn't she make that movie twice already? Yeah, yeah. I was actually thinking that myself. This Hopefully this is better than those other two, though. Right. But I mean, under the skin's brilliant. No, she's going to get typecast as as a cyborg woman um, after a while. But anyway, I digress. It is a fine piece of anime. Don't really plan on revisiting it again. And I feel like a lot of Western and Eastern uh, pieces of pop culture do what this film does way better now. That is fair. Thank you very much, Miss Alexander Bohannon. I like this movie um, because I've sort of got a historical relationship to it and anime. I remember a triple feature in which a friend of mine who was of Japanese descent said, you must watch these movies. And we watched Akira, Ghost in the Shell, and Vampire Hunter D. It was, you know, the best night ever. Um, I would say that. And it was a lot of fun, and there's a lot of nostalgia. I was also 15 years old at the time, and therefore it definitely um, pushed certain buttons. And it was really intriguing for some reason that you can't put your finger on. You're not sure why exactly. You definitely did not fit the target demo for that at all. No, not, not, not in the least. And so um, there is a, um, you know, again, a viewer experience that makes a movie better than what it actually is. I think about my viewer experience of uh, Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones, in a great theater experience and even though that movie's terrible i i sort of have feels for it because of that experience uh the same is said for ghost in the shell um when i was reviewing this film on letterboxd um i watched it twice in a day um, because i was not quite sure where i was uh with regard to this film and i do think it is brilliant in its visuals i think it's influential in its styles i think it's important in its seminality uh for uh other films that come after it it's also a bonkers crazy mess it's also lazy it's 
also troubling ideologically. And uh, therefore, I've removed my like, although I continue to give it um, three to four stars. I forget what I gave it, and I don't even care. Um, but yeah, it's good. It's, it, it's, it's really important. It's really well made. It's also, in some ways, a steaming pile of crap. So um, that's what I'm going to say is a very sort of middling, not meh, great, but ugh. Um, is what I would say about the film. So there you go, dear listener. Now you know our biases. They are um, conflicted. I think that's the best term I could use to describe them. Now we're going to move on because as I look upon my watch, I realize it's time to play the game. That's right, dear listener. We're coming back at you with some gameplay. This movie has a dope score, and we really like it a lot. And we're going to talk about our favorite action film scores. That's right. Favorite action film scores brought to you by Ghost in the Shell. Ghost in the Shell. The Shell has a good rack. (laughs) (laughs) Can confirm, yes. Well, artificially created. I know, because they made me look at it so many fucking times. Especially as it was being mass produced. Dude, I can't. We'll get into it. They had to have the title credits be watched for some reason. Does she have boobs? I didn't even notice. (laughs) Moving right along. (laughs) We're going to talk about our favorite cinematic scores. I'm going to you um, in action films, particularly. Mr. Caleb Masters, I'm going to go to you first. Yeah, Dustin. My first pick is Fudging the Rules. It, it's questionable in action film. There's a lot of action in it, and I love the soundtrack a whole lot. That's Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Great little rock that's soundtrack. Good pick. Um, I think that's great. Actually. I love it. It's very varied. So you've got some kind of rock style. You get some synth. You've got all sorts of great stuff. And I mean, and I can just say, I just rewatched this film last week. And guys, not only are there two superheroes, not only is Captain America and Superman in it, the Academy Award winning uh, actress. Um, Brie Larson is also in the film, so good on you, Scott Pilgrim. But honestly, excellent soundtrack. Definitely worth a listen to. The uh, My favorite, which is not included in the soundtrack you can purchase, is the uh, the battle he has in with, with uh, Brandon Ralph, the, uh, the bass see, battle. The bass yeah, because there's great. two different soundtracks. You can get the soundtrack that has like the band's music and then the soundtrack that is like the score. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I love it. Go check it out. Totally worth a listen. Um, while on the threshold, uh, while on the thought, the the... While on the through line of video game movies, look at Mortal Kombat. Mortal Kombat! You know? Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. Yeah, that. Lots of fun. I mean, that's literally the only thing in the soundtrack that's good. It's like a really terrible eighth synth soundtrack. But that opening is kind of fun. I love hearing it. And every time I hear it, I get like the, let's go fight somebody side, you know? Like you want to West Side Stories it or something like that. Um, then I have to go with GoldenEye, uh, James Bond. Probably one of my favorite James Bond soundtracks of all. It's, it's Super really good. good. Super great. Um, go check it out. Go watch the theme. The theme's really strong. And overall, just the, the score throughout the film is very consistent. I can't say the same even about the Craig Bonds, which might have awesome um, theme songs, but the, the score is kind of all right. And lastly, we have to go with Mission Impossible. Pretty much all of them. They all have their own unique theme. And I, one of my favorite things about uh, Mission Impossible now, uh, especially now we have five of them, is always hearing their variation on the theme, and it's always really, really good. You really like that uh, Limp Biscuit version from uh, Mission Impossible 2, don't you? I didn't hate it, actually. <laughs> of it's course not, you didn't. I, I didn't hate it. It's, probably the, it's better than the rest of the movie. Well, there you go. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Caleb Masters. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what are your favorite action film scores? Um, oddly, uh, it turns out a lot of mine have been discussed on the show at one point or another. Um, 
the raid redemption uh, was newly scored by um oh god i forgot who uh some people whose names are familiar um but when they uh they were working on importing the raid redemption to uh the west they uh, got a new uh score and man it's good um uh also i definitely need to give some love to 2015's uh, mad max fury road and its score by junkie xl uh which was something we talked about a lot when we discussed mad max fury road on this show um but um, some other ones, Terminator 2. Um, obviously, Terminator uh, 1 has the uh, that great, very memorable theme music. Uh, but I think the score for 2 overall is so much better. And uh, another Schwarzenegger classic, Predator. Uh, got a great driving, very suspenseful, um, very unnerving, but very uh, pump-you-up kind of... It, it really does ride the line of being... That, that is a horror action film. Uh, in a lot of ways, and I think the score rides that line uh, equally as well. Uh, last but not least, uh, Oldie But a Goodie, a classic, uh, also bending the rules of action film, but uh, it's a car chase movie. It's just also real funny. Uh, it's Smokey and the Bandit. Um, yeah, I, I love it. Uh, fuck you. Uh, Eastbound and Down is <laughs> one of the greatest songs ever recorded. Um, it's amazing. Uh, the movie is fantastic. It is a live-action cartoon. What more do you want? Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Miss Alexander Bohanna, what are your picks? As I list out my picks, I realize I have some reoccurring themes, of one of which is Hans Zimmer, who um, basically has set the standard since his 2010 score, um, sadly snubbed at the Academy score, Inception. Um, that should uh, have one, in my yes. personal opinion, because, it I mean, for good or ill, it has basically set the bar from all scores going forward. Well, I would say it goes back even to 2000, his score in uh, Dark Knight in 2008. Yes, uh, so Hans Zimmer, especially in Inception, but his score for Man of Steel still... Com- so good. It's really it, it's good. Amazing. It's I mean, it was one of my favorite parts of the movie, um, of a movie that I didn't particularly like, but that will be uh, discussed later. Um, finally, I will also put a nod at two Adam Wingard films. Uh, nope, just kidding. I will also put a nod at two movies inspired by um, just kind of... An, 80s stylization and that would be Drive and The Guest mm-hmm. both of whom have scores that are basically just mu- the type of music that I would listen to in my uh, spare time that driving electro synth um, 80s inspired stuff and last but not least since everyone else is bending the rules I'll bend the rules also I will also give a actiony nod to Nausicaa because we watched that film earlier in the month of Brig, the Brigathon Athon, and it was a very good score. It, it was, I mean, it's an action, and so whenever we get those oom chasing Nausicaa, I mean, that just was powerful music in time, perfectly with the little legs of the creeping bugs as they come in and chase you. Uh, I, the, I felt the score for that film was perfect and moving and actiony when it needed to be, and powerful and reminiscent and emotional when it needed to be, um, which is what I want from an action score. I want it to underlie the underlying. I want it to underlie the key emotions and feelings of of the movie that I'm watching. So those would be my picks for favorite action movie scores. Thank you very much, Miss Alexander Bohannon. I also need to name the Arnold Braunschweiger, I mean Schwarzenegger, and look at those films. And the first of those films is when she calls himself Arnold Braunschweiger, which is Last Action Hero, uh, when he talks about yeah. himself yeah. and that that great rock and roll soundtrack. I'm a chicken hawk hunting for a chicken. I get paranoid when you hear my Glock clicking. That's right. It is... <laughs> 
fantastic. Whoa. A little Cypress Hill for you. Oh all. my God, that's such a deep cut. Thank you so <laughs> much. I fucking love that movie, dude. <laughs> so I like that. Um, I love Predator and the score for Predator. Uh, me and Arthur watched it together last summer, and uh, we both remarked how much that score is amazing. I also want to mention Terminator 2. And the Terminator franchise, dun 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 dun. It's just fantastic. Yeah, good times had by all. Dun 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 dun. I just, I would just want to do it. Yes. You want to? You want to just do it five more times? <laughs> you can all just do it all day long. That's the podcast. Yeah. The, the whole show is going to be us saying dun 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 dun. But um, anyway, good times. Um, I also want to uh think about those sort of '80s inspired and techno inspired scores that have already been mentioned. Drive is fantastic. I also want to mention the Chemical Brothers score on the film Hannah, which is absolutely yeah. amazing. Chemical Brothers, so good. Oh, I forgot about that score. I love that movie, dude. It is so. It's an underrated brilliant. film. It really is. It's great and uh, such a fairy tale in, in inside of an action movie. Yeah, a fairy tale where um, Eric Bana and uh, Saoirse Ronan both whoop massive amounts of ass. Yes. God, Eric Bana is badass in that. Okay. Anyway. Yes, love it very much. There you go, dear listener. We'd love to hear your favorite action movie scores. You can do that via those magical memes of social media that will come up later in the show. But what's coming up right now is a bumper, and uh, we're going to move on to our analysis. The Mumper says so, therefore it must happen. We're going to get down to business, and we're going to bring some analysis to this film. I'm so excited to hear what analysis you guys have uh, regarding Ghost in the Shell. Miss Alexandra Bohannon, what analysis do you bring? Well, I knew whenever we decided that we would be um, taking... Uh, I knew that after we received Patreon money from uh, Mr. Brigham Cole, thank you very much, Brigham, and that he selected the marathon for anime, that at some point we would be contemplating the adaptation of a Japanese language film for an American audience, and not just the adaptation of it, um, American slash Western audience, but not just the adaptation of it, but the dubbing of it. Because, you know, we're all... um, if you're listening to the show and just like us around this table, we're all people. We don't turn our nose up at subtitles. We're fine with subtitles. If we see a foreign language film, we're totally fine. Just going ahead, watching it with the original language, just reading below. Um, but, um, unfortunately a lot of times in terms of anime, um, we're kind of limited in terms of distribution. Um, especially in terms of studio Ghibli pictures, um, which this one is not, but, um, we have, have to deal a lot of the times with a dubbed a dubbed cast and a, and a dubbed voiceover cast. Just as a quick poll survey, how many of you watched it dubbed? How many of you watched it subbed? Dubbed. Dubbed. I watched it dubbed, yeah. Oh, I'm the only one that watched it subbed. Here's the deal. The only time I will uh, watch a dubbed cut of a movie is if it's uh, animation. Uh, and really what that comes down to is I've tried to watch uh, the original language track on a lot of uh, anime, particularly for this marathon. Uh, Japanese voice acting uh, weirds me. There's a lot of very high-pitched uh, squeals, and I can't handle it. It uh, fucking makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up. I gotta watch it dubbed. Yeah, I, w- with me, I feel like, uh, while I, I agree with the sentiment of always watching subbed is uh, appropriate, and there are a lot of animes I've watched subbed. Um, in this case, though, um, I want to be able to focus more on the story and the actual animation, which I always find with with anime, I, I pay less attention to that when I'm reading subtitles. Now, sometimes the, there are a lot of times where the subtitle the subversions are superior, but I, usually I draw the line of the question I was asked myself about five minutes in is, 
am I distracted by the dubbing? If I am, I switch it to subtitles. If I'm not, then I just roll with it dubbed. I don't know how you all watched it, but I watched it through Hulu Plus, and I did not explore if there was an alternative. It was late, and I needed to watch this movie, so I didn't really explore if there was the uh, subbed version available. If there was, I feel sad that I didn't watch it, because I did not like the voice acting for this movie at all. It's not available through traditional means. Okay. I'll say that. Um, yeah, Hulu has a, a dickload of anime, but uh, because... Frankly, Hulu isn't as good as Netflix. Um, they don't have the ease of access for switching language and um, uh, subtitle tracks. So for the anime they have available, both subtitled and dubbed, they actually have it available as two completely separate things, which is just a weird choice to me. Right. So today I'm just going to kind of contemplate this age-old question of dubbed versus subbed because it's very contentious within uh, viewership of anime in general. Um, do you watch the original foreign language as you know the producer and the director and the author would have intended, or do you watch kind of the American adaptation of this of this piece? Hearing you know American slash Western, you know you hear an English adaptation of this piece um, that will you know have maybe maybe a little more localized references for you to understand instead of going with your original um the original text and i feel for ghost in the shell um and as everyone at this table around me um only one person of us watched it subbed i feel like it probably lost something watching the dub i I myself found myself being very distracted by this dub. It wasn't particularly good uh, for starters. The I was not impressed by the voice animation. It was, and the voice acting itself was very lackluster in my opinion, which was it, which is a travesty because it can make you lose interest in the film. But then I also feel that by watching this uh, westernized. English dub that I lost some of the cultural things that would have made a little more sense um, in terms of just the, some of this cultural literacy um, that I I'm definitely missing out on. I always think back to one of my uh, favorite animes whenever I contemplate dub versus sub, and there's this really well, there's this really kind of explicit. Uh, kind of uh, this kind of uh, explicit uh, gay, gay joke um, in this anime about pitching versus catching. And uh, there's, there are words for that in Japanese. And if you don't, um, sometimes they're not translated correctly. And, and that joke is completely lost. Um, if you do not have the, if you do not have the correct uh, dub or if you do not have the correct subtitles. So it, it's just, it, it it can be an interesting it can be an interesting phenomenon of losing some some of the jokes some of the um things that they themselves the characters are dealing with in a in an eastern culture um whenever you have an an English dub and a westernized dub. So, so that's kind of my piece. That's really all I had to say about this film because I found the voice acting personally so distracting. It's um, pretty bad. 
it is very bad. Uh, and, and I would really like to see um, what a more adept cast could do. I, I feel like the main character, they were going for her to sound really cold and detached. I mean, she's a cyborg. That's kind of what they're going yeah, for. Yeah, Kusanagi has a real flat affect throughout this whole movie. Yeah, but then everyone else does too. And then it kind of loses a lot of the oomph of the plot um, for me personally. So um, that is you know, kind of my quandary in watching a lot of anime is, is it dub versus sub? Because you're, you're going to, it's just, that's going to be your trade off is that you're going to be losing something from the original text of the film, what the author would have intended. The director would have intended. Um, if you do watch it in a Westernized way, um, even though sometimes it may come off more polished, better with better voice actors, um, and, and might be more listenable, you know, if you're someone like Dalton that doesn't typically like, uh, Japanese voice acting, which that's totally fine. Um, also you wouldn't be able to hear Patrick Stewart in Nausicaa. So uh, there is a big issue to contemplate whenever choosing between, uh, uh, dubbing versus subbing whenever looking at your pieces of anime. Thank you very much, Miss Alexander Bohannon. Mr. Caleb Masters, what analysis do you bring? Well, Dustin, I want to talk a little bit about how humans treat machines and what defines sentient life. Now, in one of those monologues that Dalton probably really hated, there's some interesting ideas that are pitched around. <laughs> Sorry. Um, by, I, I almost certainly did. Uh, by the uh, puppet master when he they finally pin him down into a body. Um, he has a, a brief bit, and I'll try to give you the, the Cliff Notes version. I'll just kind of read a, a, a portion of it because it's a very long monologue. The puppet master says at one point, it can be argued that DNA is nothing more than a program designed to preserve itself. Life has become more complex in the overwhelming sea of information. And life, when organized into species, relies upon genes to be its memory system. So, man in its individual, uh, is an individual only because of its intangible men- me- memory. The memory cannot be defined, but, it def- but yet it defines mankind. The advent of computers and the subsequent uh, accurate. Accumulation of incalculable data has given rise to a new system of memory and thought parallel to your own. Humanity has underestimated the consequences of computerization. Your life is the remainder of a sum of an equation ergo vis-a-vis. That's all I heard. Okay, that works. Uh, you get, it gets to the point. But I, I think that it's... it's the, I mean, obviously, it is presenting what I, I believe to be one of, if not the thesis of the film, which is that... We are, we are, as we, we progressively become more and more technological reliant, we are going to create things that are eventually going to have unintended consequences. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, in the, in the case of this film, you have uh, all everyone's kind of computer automated. They all live in their own kind of ghosts, but there's this giant network, and it manifests itself in the puppet master, mm-hmm. and, uh, a being that cannot be controlled or contained. Um, now, I, I think that Ghost in the Shell is most interested in exploring the AI as a living being, not as an, a, a rogue computer program. Yeah, there's certainly some, some interesting stuff, Caleb, about uh, how we define sentience going on. Uh, that, that is for sure. It's, it's presented in a clunky and boring fashion for my taste, but I, I think the film does have some interesting ideas. I really think uh, a lot about what we talked about a little bit with uh, Nausicaa, except for in, instead of the context of Mother Nature, we are talking about machinery, uh, and that is the Ian Malcolm, life will find a way quote. Uh, even if even when it is manifesting itself organically in 
humans cold calculated machinery. So I think the the film begs the question when life manifests itself through technology, through these systems we've created, uh, is life is this life evil? Is it real? Is it living? Is it sentient? Does it mean us harm? And how should we treat this life when it actually arises? And uh, the film, uh, you know, I think by and large uh, concludes that, you know, we as human beings are always going to try to destroy and fear the thing we don't understand, even though we created it. So we realize there's this thing and we're like, holy crap, how did this, how does this, how does this thing exist? How does the puppet master exist? We have to squash it. Why? Well, we don't even know if the puppet master actually means to kill us, but we know we don't understand him. Therefore, we have to stop him from doing whatever it is he's doing because we can't control him. And I think that's a very, very clear thing. But the, the fact of the matter is, the puppet master, uh, at least in the context of this film, is sentient life. He has his own conscience, his own personality. Uh, he, uh, by the Buddhist definition, sen- uh, sentient life uh, it means uh, a being with conscience, sentience, uh, sentience, obviously, and has some context of life on its own. And the puppet master fits that quota. Yet, as humans, we seek to destroy it. Now, I think... One thing I think the film does that's interesting is it does, especially in 1995, I do think in a, in a way it's a little bit ahead of its time. In 1995, uh, it poses the question, well, maybe we shouldn't actually try to destroy these computers or these systems because maybe they actually mean to do us good or, or mean to show us a new way. But we're not going to, as human beings, we're never going to know because we're going to try to destroy it before it has time to properly develop. And maybe in trying to destroy it, we create our own enemy. Um, and again, that's kind of uh, why I, f- I feel like that, that kind of I- idea the film concludes I-, I feel like the film concludes with that idea. And then you have other films like The Matrix that come along and take that to, to a whole other level. Um, as I said in my review, I think this movie has a lot of really interesting ideas that other films like Ex Machina, another film that takes that to the next level. And granted, we are in 2016 versus 1995, so we've had a lot more time to kind of uh, chew on these ideas. But yeah, I, I think uh, that the film has an awful lot to beg the question of how do we treat life that manifests itself through machines? Yeah, I've, I totally agree with that, Caleb, especially because this kind of parallels my experience for the first time watching the David Fincher film seven this past year, a film that also came out in 2005, 2000, uh, 95, sorry, a film that also came out in 1995 or 1996. So the, when I'm watching it as a viewer in 2016, I am seeing something that has already been tread and done to death. And I'm like, why is this? I mean, I know this must have been influential, but I'm, I already know what's going to happen. And, and yeah, I get it. I get it. You know? So I totally understand what you're, where you're coming from on that because I've had a very similar film going experience recently as well. Yeah, and it doesn't make these films any less valuable. Oh, but but, certainly not. but it's like one of those things, like to your point though, like you can go and see, oh, well, this film begs the question, and we have a lot of other films that are wrestling with that question on a whole nother level. We've had 20 years to go beyond this point. And it's a good thing that we have, but when you it, it also kind of does take away from the power and uh impact these films originally had. Thank you very much, Mr. Caleb Masters. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what analysis are you bringing today? All right, well, let's get down to it. There's gender uh, going on in this film. A lot of it. Um, Some of it's interesting. Uh, The problem, I I was really surprised uh, because I was troubled with the the politics of this film throughout. um, And I was intrigued 
while reading about the film that there are a lot of very smart people who think this film is very progressive, very forward-thinking in its treatment of gender um, because of reasons, I guess. Um, the best thing I could find um, is... There, there is every article I found. There seemed to be a real hang-up on um, Kusanagi's lack of genitalia in terms of her lack of menstruating uh, makes her a different kind of lady. And I was like, well, that's and you know, talk about gender identity and personal identity and all those things were things I found interesting. Here's the problem: uh, Kusanagi's a fighting fuck toy. Let's get down to it. Yes. Um, I don't know where that term first came about. The earliest I can uh, find uh, reference to it is a blog post uh, on a WordPress from 2011 or 2012. Um, I, I did some digging. Um, it's kind of one of those things that just happened. And um, it's not like Manic Pixie Dream Girl where you can very easily find the first article to reference it. It's a little bit harder. But, but the problem is, no matter what the filmmakers are hoping to do with their ideas about Kusanagi, with their ideas about gender... They really just love putting the camera on her boobs. They love it a lot. They love showing her flex her uh, sexy lady muscles when she pulls the hatch off that tank. Um, they they love her getting naked and doing predator shit to people. They're, the opening sequence of this film is just all over her. It is male gaze to an extreme that is comical. It is icky and gross. I'm sorry. Don't I? I don't care if it makes like logical sense for her to get naked to use it, her cloaking device. Whatever. I, I get it. I'm but not, it doesn't because that other dude has the cloak. Yes. Thing. I know. I thought of that the whole fucking time. I, I'm. I'm just trying to circumvent people yelling at me uh, while they're listening. I get it. I get that there could be a logical ex. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The film is so obsessed with her sexuality. It doesn't matter that her coworkers don't sexualize her if the camera will not stop sexualizing her. This is there is a difference between text and subtext. The text of this film wants to be interesting and progressive. The subtext of this film is not, and it cannot stop from oogling. It cannot stop from being lecherous. Arthur uh, and Caleb and myself talked a little bit about. Tin Cloverfield Lane on Back to the Movies this past week and how the camera in that film is not lecherous when it has several opportunities where it could choose to be. Uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead's in her underwear for significant portions of that film and that not once does the camera make the choice to Google her. Not a single time. The camera, for lack of a better word, because obviously this is an animated film, but the camera cannot stop Googling Kusanagi. It, it, it doesn't have anything better to do. And it's just troubling to me Caleb talked about you know these ideas of sentience uh, for, for animation or not animation for the, uh, the the ideas of sentience for computers and artificial intelligence. The film can't fucking take the time to treat its female protagonist with the same respect and admiration it treats its fucking computer program. It's infuriating. It's galling, and I can't not be troubled by it. And it stopped me at every turn from liking this movie more than I did. I, I wanted to like it more. I really did. The problem is she is reduced to her parts. Every time something interesting is about to happen, every time she has an interesting thought or an expression or has a legitimately like moving um, bit of dialogue or something happened to her, something sexy happens. In her t dying moments, something sexy is happening, and it's just troubling, 
and stopped the film from ever saying anything interesting as far as I'm concerned. Right. So this week, um, or the past couple of weeks, um, there was, uh, to tie in, there was a uh, post by Kim Kardashian where she posts a nude selfie of herself. So um, the larger world, uh, at least on Twitter, uh, social justice type people, are contemplating, is this objectification or is this um, just empowerment? Um, And then, of course, everyone has their own opinions. But one of the most um, interesting opinions that I found upon this subject of objectification versus empowerment um, is who is holding the camera? Who is holding the lens? Because whenever you... For instance, if you had one of those marble-esque statues, Venus de Milo, pretend she has arms, and she's holding up a... uh, a camera or a cell phone and she's taking a selfie that's empowerment. But then that's also bad because that woman is self-centered because she's taking a photo for herself whenever she is not, um, holding a camera and whenever she doesn't have arms and because she doesn't, um, she also, she's not empowered. She's objectified, but then she's also objectified for the male gaze and for the male purpose. And therefore it is okay. And that is one thing that always kind of this kind of gets me about this movie is that never, never once does it feel like she is in full control or really wants to take off her clothes. It's just programmed within her nature um, by men, presumably to for her to take off her clothes to use this cloaking mechanism, which obviously can be used in other ways that throughout the movie is there uh, the fact that she could just put on a actual invisibility cloak instead instead of taking off all of her clothes um it, that's really interesting and also problematic because you always have to go back to who's holding the camera and that person is going to be having their particular perspective upon um what you're seeing as a viewer absolutely alex and what it does is it makes the body itself an object it makes itself a a thing without subjectivity it is only a thing to be looked upon you're absolutely right dalton and that's what i want to talk about a little bit with my analysis and before i bring into um something else i want to talk about with regard to this film is that um i gave this film a lot of stars because i really like this movie as far as its influentiality, I love its um, use of imagery. I, I find it to be a film that is much more interested in just the imagistic uh, sections of it, uh, mm-hmm. as far as stylization. Now, again, now there are imagistic bits that are quite troubling in the way the camera does um, take that male spectatorship role and uh, suture everyone into that same position. And it's troubling, and it's wrong, and it's gross. And I could not agree more. I would furthermore say, you know, the the fact that we insert this uh, person into a Lolita doll at the end of the film um, further complicates Dog. Ugh. how Ugh. troubling this is. Yeah, well, the fact that, okay, just... Bear with me on a thought journey. Eventually, she's going to be doing that little cloaking thing. So she's going to be naked in this weird prepubescent body. And that's going to be awkward and nasty for everybody. Well, in the sequels, shut up. We don't care. Yeah, uh, fair enough. And uh, we don't know if that particular body has that, but the assumption's still there. Uh, that that Particularly that predator um, camouflage role that goes on with it. Um, I want to talk a little bit now, in addition, um, to a metaphysical question about what sentience is 
in terms of human beings. And this is going to tie a little bit with Caleb's talking about, because this film does very much tie into the Buddhist notion that we are um, embodied souls, that um, we have ghosts that are our real selves, that make us up as who we are, as human beings, and uh, that that is independent of the body in which we happen to live. And so it's transferable. Yeah, one of the few things, Dustin, that I do, and again, every time I started to be interested by something happening in this film, um, we, we had to have another TNA shot. Uh, the Puppet Master says something really that was really interesting to me um, about the death of the ego. Uh, and she was like, well, I still exist if we merge. And he's like, yeah, probably not, but doesn't matter. And I thought that was really interesting. It's like, be willing to die to your ego and, you know, embrace your own importance. Like, I just something, there's a very interesting thing at the end there where it's like, yeah, you will probably be dead, but this is more important than you. This is bigger than you. Absolutely. And I, I thought that was very interesting. Yeah, and the, the, the film sort of suggests a, a dualism, a real strict and rigorous separation between body and soul, that they are sort of interchangeable. Um, a Gnosticism, if you want to get Western with it a mm-hmm. little bit. Yeah. Um, this idea that we are not who we are um, outside of um, our bodies. Uh, but the, the fact of the matter is, as human beings, our bodies do influence who we are as persons. Um, again, this is a different, more Western idea, and I just want to suggest a, a counterpoint of understanding that there is a, a true sense in which we are persons independent of, again, the body and the physical manifestation of who we are. But, you know, there is a certain way that short guys act. There is a there's a certain personality that's developed. There's a certain individuality that's present because that man happens to be short. Um, uh, short women, same thing. Um, large bodies, small bodies, tall bodies, thin bodies. Um, that there is a a certain ideology um, that's imposed by society and culture and those sort of things as well. And there's also just frankly the fact the matter that you know everything is very very small. I I know a couple seven footers. Um, I'm related to a couple of them. And um, the whole world is made for children for them. And the way they, you know, I mean, the, the way they see it. Yeah. And um, they are who they are because of, you know, again, culture and raising and, and those sort of things. And they are who they are because of uh, just how they've developed. But they are who they are because they are seven freaking feet tall. And uh, as a result, they interact with the world in a very different way. Their perceptions of what it means to be a person, what it means to be a human being, is very, very different. And so, um, you know, Western metaphysics offers other possibilities. And this film is quite myopic in in its sort of Buddhist Shinto view of the self that uh, we need to escape from our bodies. And in a Western culture in which um, materialism becomes very important, and conversely, Christianity and its teaching on the resurrection becomes important, that I think a conversation should be held about the fact of the matter is we, we are sort of inculcated and inscribed and circumscribed um, in, as personalities, as sentient beings, based on the bodies that we possess. And Dustin, you know, I, I think all of those ideas are definitely there. And I, though, to me, the, the last five, ten minute stretch of this film, uh, other than the long-winded monologues, uh, presented some of the most interesting ideas in the film, uh, which is what you were just talking about. You know, um, this very specifically uh, Buddhist idea about um, 
dying to your self-importance, which I think, uh, or ego, um, to put it in Freudian terms, uh, which I think is really cool. We live in a um, an age in which, um, again, the embodiment of our souls, if, if we're not just simply embodied souls, if we are perhaps ensouled bodies, then perhaps um, the bodies in which we live, they do matter. And I think this is very, very important for gender studies, in which uh, we, we just looked at a film called Tangerine, and this film was very, very influential on the Wachowski siblings, uh, sisters at this point now, because they fully yeah. made the transgender, transgender movement. And the, the fact that they want to go ahead and change the, the, the physicality of their bodies in terms of their identity. And there are others who do not wish to change that um, physicality, but they want to change the identity. But they want to uh, fully identify as non-operative, non-surgical, non, you know, uh, again, sort of penis-bearing women. Um, that, 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 that sort of distinction matters, that the, the actual physicality of who they are is important to who they are as individuals if that makes sense. And so um, this film is suggesting something that's interesting, that's, again, it's an important part of metaphysical conversations of what it means to be a human being, but there are other options and there are other conversations to be held, and I feel like the dominance of the conversation so far, based on the influence of Japanese animation, has been overwhelmingly Buddhist in that regard. And frankly, to talk about this in terms of our bodies and to really engage in the transgender conversation, we might need to get a little Christian. I know that's weird to say, but I think that actually does matter because in Christian physics and metaphysics, and again, in materialist metaphysics, that physicality is most important. And so I would uh, engage and encourage filmmakers and thoughtful human beings as they engage this film to consider that option as well when they consider individuality. And that is the analysis that I would bring at this point. I thank you so much, dear co-hosts, for what you've said and brought to the table this film, although problematic um, and, uh, again, troubling in some levels, is uh, infinitely interesting and is infinitely able to spur on brilliant conversation. And we're going to talk a little bit more about what we think about whether what we're going to do with this film and render a verdict. But before we do that, let's hear a word from our sponsors. Good Trash Genrecast is brought to you in part by SadMenForLonelyWomen.com. Have you ever found yourself yearning for the glorious moments of your past? I know I have. But we can't offer that to you. But we can give you the next best thing. The Beginner's Guide to Loneliness. A collection of the most shared, viewed, and favorited articles from SadMenForLonelyWomen.com. The Beginner's Guide to Loneliness is available over at Amazon.com. Pick up your copy today. Thank you very much for that sponsorship, Sad Men from Lonely Woman. Check it out for all your comedy needs. We now come to a point in the show where we must render a verdict. And that verdict, the way we format it on this show, is shelf or trash for the film, and then what our else's or instead's are based upon that selection. I go to you first, Miss Alexander Bohannon. What do you say? Shelf or trash, else or instead? Trash. I don't, I don't, I'm not going to apologize for it. It's trash. I'm sorry. It's, it's, it, what, at least 
trash the dub especially um if you want to watch the sub and see if it's better it's definitely not going to objectify your women any less um but yeah i feel like there are lots of films that maybe took a, a lot of homages to this film and but have done it way better one of those films is the matrix for for goodness sakes i mean that film takes a definite uh, toll out of this this piece. I know it's one of Dalton's favorite pictures, and he will probably talk about it at length as well. Um, I would also recommend to you Total Recall because, uh, you know, memories, uh, you know, planetary stuff, sci-fi, it's all there. Um, I would also recommend Terminator 2 because I feel like the other cyborg cop uh, looks especially like Arnold, and I'm sure that's done on purpose. And I would also recommend the game, Shadowrun Returns, which is, um, it, it kind of has a lot of homages to this kind of, this feel of like high, hacking into this ethernet to to explore um things of that nature, very matrixy, but it has like this deep fantastical element with uh, cybernetic enhancements. And finally, of course, Blade Runner, because, you know, the aesthetic is is very much there. So uh, those would be my else's or incentives for this picture. Thank you very much for that, Miss Alexander Bohan and Mr. Caleb Masters. What do you say? Show for trash, else or instead? Yeah, trash this film. I, 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 I had to watch this movie twice in the same week to convince myself I didn't like it. Yeah, it's just it's all right. Like, there's just so many other films out there that do do this film better, and they're more interesting, and they take the ideas further. Um, for my else's, I'm going to recommend a lot of uh, a few different picks that are related to my analysis of uh, kind of the films that explore the idea of like sentient life. And as I mentioned in my analysis, Ex Machina from last year, really great film that is really delving really deep into that idea and, and begging the, the the question of the ethics we have in which treating uh, in, in treating artificial life uh, as a film that's as uh you know the director put it is only about two seconds away from now so um i'd also recommend ai artificial intelligence from steven spielberg not a great film but again i do think there is an exploration of that idea of what does it mean to create sentient life and how do we treat it what are the ethics there and lastly um this one's kind of a b movie it's not great but i had a good time with it is 2009's surrogates starring uh bruce willis another film uh, in which people spend most of their lives living in like little robots. It's not great, but I think it's better than this movie. It's not great, but I had fun with it. So there, that, those would be my recommendations. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Caleb Masters. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what do you say? Yeah, I'm going to trash it too. Um, it, it's cribbing real hard from Blade Runner and then gets uh, all of its ideas take, picked up and ran with in a better, more interesting way in uh, the Wachowski siblings, The Matrix, uh, Wachowski sisters, The Matrix. It's, it's just better. Um, and so is Blade Runner. Um, and so is last week's Summer Wars, which I didn't even love that much, but takes uh, a lot of the same ideas or at least similar ideas and approaches them in a much more interesting way. Um, Dustin mentioned Hannah earlier. Watch that instead because it's got a dope, well-rounded, well-written female character who the camera doesn't feel the need to incessantly eye-fuck. Uh, ditto for Mad Max Fury Road uh, for uh, Furiosa because interesting, well-rounded, well-written, uh, capable, badass, Camera doesn't need to eye fucker. Um, I, I have no patience or time for it. Uh, I did, you know, probably as few as two years ago when we started the show. I probably had more patience for this kind of thing. I don't at this point. I've seen so many movies do this, uh, having uh, watched at least, uh, you know, had to really think about smart things to say about a movie, uh, or at least things that sound smart once a week for the last three years. I've just lost every shred of patience I have for this sort of bullshit. 
Excellent. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. You know, I am a person who is much more interested in visuals than in narrative, and I do find this film to be very, very visually compelling, but yet, and instead, and I like films that are transgressive in some way. Dude, so do I. But this film does all of the stuff wrong, and so, therefore... No, screw this movie. Trash. No, no, don't watch it. Don't don't bother. Now, if you want to watch like seminal, like important anime, um, I would say check out Akira and check out uh, Vampire Hunter D. And I think a better time is spent, and it's very influential in in, in various and sundry Fucking ways. Watch Nausicaa and yeah. the Valley of the Wind. Yes, Nausicaa. Yeah, absolutely. Check that out. If you're like into the AI thing and you want to have the conversation, then you will need to watch the Granddaddy of them all. This has been going on since 1968, you guys. 2001 A Space Odyssey, yeah. the HAL 9000. That's where this begins. And honestly, that's a far better film. Yeah. So check that out. I'm sorry, Dustin. I can't allow you to recommend that. Well, you know what? I don't care. Mm. <laughs> that's right. Go ahead. Start singing Bicycle Built for Two in slow motion <laughs> as I disconnect you. <laughs> Moving right along. So there you go, dear listener. We, we are all over the social media, and we're all about having the conversation in those places. I'm going to go to Alexander Bohannon and ask her first about one of those means by which the conversation could be held. Sure thing, Dustin. You can find us at www.facebook.com forward slash good trash media, where you, we'll find all of our highlighted articles, posts, guest articles and all those delightful shenanigans. You can also find us at goodtrashmedia.com. Excellent. Thank you very much. Um, Dalton, there's another social media means by which we could be found, is there not? You can find the Good Trash Honorcast on Twitter at good underscore trash. I promise I will not post any anime nudes with a Z or an S, and I promise that I will not post any long-winded monologues that are poorly written. I cannot guarantee the last half of that um, promise, but... I've only got 140 characters. It's basically impossible. Well, okay. You know what? 140 characters can at times feel quite long-winded. But moving right along. Thank you very much for that. Uh, dear co-hosts, uh, again, check out Ghost in the Shell and check out next week's selection, which is our last selection of our Brigathon. Uh, thank you again, Brigham Cole, for being a patron at Patreon. Check that out on GoodTrashMedia.com. We have a Patreon window there for you where you can donate to the show. And if you donate of a certain level, you too can select a marathon that we have to suffer through. And uh, in this case, uh, Brigham has picked anime and we're going to continue it and conclude it with a Miyazaki film, and we're going to take a look at um, The Wind Rises, Bruce Wayne. Wait, no, that's a mashup, isn't it? That's not the same thing. The Wind but, Rises! <laughs> that's right. And so I'm very, very glad to be talking about that with my co-host, because I'm glad to be talking about movies, because movies are so much more than just the 90 minutes spent watching the film and the bucket of popcorn you eat. It's about the conversation that happens afterward, the friendships that are developed, and uh, the understanding that we are able to reach together. That's what makes watching the movie worthwhile, and until then, we'll see you all next time. The Good Trash Genre Cast is produced and edited by Arthur Gordon. Direction by Dustin Sells. Social media by Alexandro Bohannon, Caleb Masters, and Dalton Stewart. Our intro and outro is Night Call by Kavinsky and Lovebox. We are also proud to feature music from Deer Tick this week on the program. For more information on this episode of the Good Trash Genre Cast, as well as the rest of the Good Trash Media family, please visit goodtrashmedia.com.